I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 Kerosene Radio Show exclusively for this podcast. The Senate quietly passed a $250 billion spending bill and is still considering a $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Steve and I discuss how to handle rising inflation as the federal government and you are spending more. We also talk about the rise of build-to-rent suburbs and if you really need to own a home to be financially successful. We check in on Macy's new strategy after the retailer moved its headquarters out of Cincinnati. Finally, Dustin Baker, the host of SBA Roadshow on YouTube, joins me to discuss how Cincinnati businesses are using loans from the Small Business Administration. Have you noticed? The government is spending more, and you are too. So what's that going to do to inflation? You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Federal government is, you know, having a tough time. They're trying to spend trillions of dollars on an infrastructure bill. But, Steve, let's not worry that they can't hammer out these details, because they are spending nonetheless. Oh, they have no problem spending money. That's that's no not issue. the issue. But, yeah, this infrastructure bill, which is called an infrastructure bill, but really isn't just an infrastructure bill. Um, yeah, we're, we're hearing that they have just uh, collapsed their negotiations. And um, I, I don't I don't think it's gone away completely. There no. is a bipartisan group uh, of both Republicans and Democrats that are stepping forward to try to salvage a deal before the Democrats just decide, you know what, we're going to do it our way and do it through reconciliation. There's a lot of complex maneuvering going on behind the scenes, uh, Amy. It'll be really interesting to see what this bill looks like when it finally gets signed. You say complex maneuvering. I say adults acting like children pointing the fingers at each I was, other. <laughs> I was being nice. I you was were being nice. nice. Yeah. I'm going to call a spade a spade here. Each side, once again, shockingly blaming each other. So we've got the Democrats saying Republicans aren't budging on tax increases. Like, hey, we need to increase taxes in order to pay for this. Republicans are saying, hey, there's all of these pandemic or pandemic relief funds that are still floating around out there. Can we not repurpose yeah, those? Can we use that money that hasn't been spent? For infrastructure. Yeah. You know, each it's, it's not that each side isn't making valid points. It's that, like, how can we be grown adults and not be able to find any kind of compromise. No kidding. No kidding. Well, I'll tell you two names that are going to become real important over the next week or two, and that's uh, Democrat Joe Manchin uh, from West yeah. Virginia and Kirsten Sinema uh, from Arizona. They are two centrist Democrats that are part of this bipartisan group that are approaching uh, the Biden administration with a, a separate proposal of compromise. Imagine that. Democrats and Republicans working towards compromise. On the Republican side, we've got our own Senator uh, Portman, uh, yeah. who gives a lot of credibility to any because he, he he's already said he's done. He's retiring. So anything he brings forth, I, I think, has automatic uh, credibility. Well, and he's retiring for, I think, such a noble reason. He's he sees what's going on in yeah. Washington and he's saying, I don't feel like I'm part of any kind of a fix here. Yeah. And, and maybe he can take, you know, his, his skills to another platform and and be more successful in that way. But I give him all the credit in the world for being truthful in that place. And listen, OK, the infrastructure bill isn't coming down the pike just yet, but they're still spending hundreds of billions of dollars right now. Uh, Senate just overwhelmingly passed a bill to invest 
about $250 billion in manufacturing and technology. You know, we haven't talked about this race with China in a long yeah. time, right? But there's a lot going on there. And this is uh, this bill solely to say, let's give our people the resources to outpace China here. Yeah, you know, this was the quietest bill I've ever heard get to this point because yeah. we're only talking about $250 billion. Yeah, I, I, like, I mean, it's like know, pennies it's in a couch pennies. cushion. Exactly, at this point. exactly. You know, and and it's interesting. I'll tell you why. I don't know all the details inside this bill. I, I want to talk about it a little bit. But um, when I heard China is going nuts about being against this bill, they think it's bad. It, it shouldn't pr- proceed. That tells me, hey, maybe we're onto something here. Maybe yes. it is. Maybe it is a good bill. When it you're is, pissing the right people off, right? I mean, truly, yeah. like sometimes you know, like oh. China's up in arms about this. Okay, let's get behind it. This is good. Let's double down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, and and this is really interesting. I mean, I I grew up in the space age. You know, as a kid, I just watched all the rockets going off and the Apollo program and and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, it just really gave me a a sense of of pride. And and, uh, that's why I studied science in high school and college. I, I, I love that whole research and development side of education. And we have, since that time period, we have backed off the amount of money that we've been spending on research yeah. and, and, and development. So at its peak in, in 1964, this country was spending 2.2% of its GDP on research and development. Last year, it was only 0.7%. So yeah. so Washington actually did something good. They got together and they authorized $190 billion for R&D at universities, $52 billion to help domestic manufacturers expand semiconductor production. I mean, these are things we need yesterday, and they're finally spending money on the, the things we actually need, that there's a proven need for. And, and you know, uh, this is this is one area, if they said... Four hundred billion. I'd say, okay, this is that, that's okay with me. I'm cool that, with that. It's it's for the right reasons. I like that. Well, and Chinese lawmakers, right, speaking up, they're telling Congress, you need to immediately stop the progress on this bill. I love love that. Here's why: uh, they claim that it interferes, it smears China's development path and domestic and foreign policies, interferes in China's internal affairs under the banner of innovation and competition. Who cares? Yeah, it, it interferes with their ability to steal technology and, <laughs> and reverse engineer what they've stolen. Yeah, Back okay. to that old trade sorry, war, right? Sorry yeah. about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. The latest spending out of Washington, what it means to you uh, and why you need to be paying attention. You know, we can point our fingers at Washington, Steve, but they're not the only ones spending. We've talked about the pent-up demand coming out of this pandemic. No question, it is coming to fruition. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we talk about wages increasing and, you know, everybody likes earning some more money. But, you know, this is one of those, I don't know if you call it unintended consequences, but, you know, through this whole pandemic, a lot of people didn't have jobs. So, okay, let's pass some stimulus bills and, and help those people out. 100% with you on that. But mm-hmm. now the jobs are coming back. They're coming back with a vengeance. And, and a lot of people are making more money sitting home than, than they are actually going to work. And, and this is 
killing employers who are trying to get staffing. I, I mean, I, I've been to a couple of restaurants where they're just closed a, a certain day a week because they have uh, staffing problems. A lot so, of restaurants yeah, are moving and, in that direction. And what happens when you have to offer more money to get workers at your place of business? Well, you're going to have to, if more money's going out, you got to have some money coming in, so you're going to raise prices. And we're starting to see this show up in hard inflation numbers. In, in May, inflation was up another 0.4%. Um, that's that's above April's 4.2%. You know, so we're starting to see some real big numbers where for years and years inflation was staying well below 2%. Um, this is something that we call a wage price spiral because as wages go up, inflation goes up. Okay, then wages have to go up more so that the employees can, can go out and spend money and buy the same goods, and, and it just keeps going up and up and up. They, they drive each other into a spiral, and I hope we don't see what we saw in the late 70s, early 80s, but that's becoming a concern again with investors. Well, you're talking about 4.2% for inflation right now. That's the highest that we've seen in more than a decade already, right? I mean, these numbers, yeah. month over month, going up almost half a point, it gets scary. I mean, we'll see exactly what that number is um, later this week, but there's no question. We feel it, right? We already know. You're, you're filling up at the pump. You're going to the grocery store. And it's to the point where, you know, you it used to be, okay, I could look back at what I paid a year ago for eggs and milk and bread when I went to the store. Now you're looking back at what you paid two months ago. Yeah. And you can already see the difference. Yeah. Right? You see the difference in your bill on an almost month-over-month -month basis. Uh, and I think there's a lot of concerns that people have there of, you know, okay, if we've got wages going up and then we've got prices going up and this is going to continue to spiral up, at some point it's going to spiral out of control. I think what we believe, right, and, and we certainly don't have a crystal ball, is that a lot of these price increases that are coming from demand are coming from these very strange kind of one-off supply chain issues yeah. that seem to be happening coming out of this pandemic across the spectrum. You can look at chicken wings, you can look at microchips, right? I mean, there's different situations, both of them causing things to cost more money right now, um, but not necessarily it's just because of inflation. Yeah, I, I mean, there are some really smart people that work for the Federal Reserve, our, our nation's bank. And, and it's not just the, the voting members. I mean, the Federal Reserve, there are a lot of different participants that, that are involved in these meetings. And, and you know, they're all, they're all smart people. And their consensus is that this is, in their words, transitory. That's a, a fancy word for just saying, no, this is short term. These are short term disruptions as a result of reopening the economy. I hope they're right. I, yeah. I really do, because I'm not convinced. I mean, is gas going to go right back down to two bucks a gallon in, in three or four months? At, at least we're going to be taking a hard look at the data as it comes in. And one of the things that I really want to see is, okay, if these additional unemployment benefits, if they're going to be going away by September at the latest, and a lot of states are cutting them off a lot sooner than, than yeah, September. Ohio is just a few weeks away, I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Are people going to go back to work sooner? Are there really people sitting at home collecting unemployment that just don't want to work because they're making more sitting at home? That, that's, that's something I'm interested in seeing. And if that's the case, maybe it is transitory. Maybe it is short term. And maybe we will get past these disruptions. I just have a hard time thinking that the price of gas is going back to two bucks and, and the price of meats are going to come back down and, and everything that's risen in the past two or three months are going to go back to where they were. I, it, it, it seems like they go up quicker than they ever come down, if they ever come down. Well, and talk about hitting, it, hitting you where it hurts. 
Chipotle. People love my Chipotle. <laughs> and nobody quite yeah. possibly loves it more than Dana, who is amazing. She's on our team. And we were kind of joking with her about this, but they announced that uh, Chipotle is raising menu prices 4%. Um, so they had to raise you know, the wages to $15 an hour at their restaurants. They got to pass on the cost to you, right? Yeah. The buyer, yeah. the consumer. Um, and and we, we figured it out. It's like 48 cents every time Dana goes with her normal order because she knows exactly how much it costs. But to your, to your point, Steve, 48 cents here and an extra f- six bucks when you fill up at the pump and an extra eight bucks when you go to the grocery store. Man, this really can add up. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like when, when you're, as you get older, like I am, um, and, and you take medication to solve one problem, it creates another. You can't raise wages without unintended or, or intended consequences. Sure. I mean, when, when the government was talking about raising the minimum wage to $15, I, it's fine with me if they, they want to do that, but don't expect that that it's not going to cause prices to go up. And that's why I, I shouldn't say it was fine with me because I, I knew that that was going to be the consequence, that inflation was going to be the, uh, the result. So when these companies have to pay more money to get people to go to work for uh, a, you know basically a low-paying job, um, they're going to have to raise prices. That's all there is to it. There is no other result that you can expect. Yeah, something that we will continue to keep an eye on, right? Government spending and yours. Here's a Simply Money point. The government is spending more. You are too. The best way to prepare for bouts of inflation, own the corporations that are raising the prices, own a piece of the American economy. You know, we don't usually like to focus on the show on individual stocks, but we do definitely keep our eye on hometown teams. Tonight, Macy's post-pandemic future, what is that looking like? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're, we're going to take a look at two different companies and, and two different ends of the spectrum. Macy's, they've been around for a long time, one of the old... Well-established. Oh, yeah, the old brick-and-mortar uh, stores. And, of course, they had stores all over uh, Cincinnati. Well, we all know they closed their downtown headquarters in early 2020. Uh, they moved their merchandising and marketing to New York City. They still have support functions here. They have over 3,000 employees. So it's not like they, they shut their doors and sent everybody home. 3,000 people still work for Macy's locally, but, you know, they're kind of going in a different uh, direction here, Amy. We're hearing more and more about digital marketing, digital sales. Obviously, Amazon uh, is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Macy's is going back to their roots. They're going back to brick and mortar in New York City. I've been. Have you ever been to their place in New York? I have. Yes, oh, it's incredible. Flagship store. Oh, especially around Christmas time. It's well, unbelievable. The, yes. So the CEO is saying, like, we'll take that flagship store, right, and raise it one. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're looking at a multi-billion dollar skyscraper atop what they already have, that Herald Square flagship. Uh, and they're saying, listen, this is going to be way more pedestrian friendly, this kind of urban oasis dedicated to American style and consumption. This is one market. And this makes me a little nervous, Steve. This doesn't feel yeah. like where we are going as consumers. Certainly, if I'm in New York, you know, with my kids, we'll go and visit it. But I I don't know that this is going to be what saves the company. Here's the problem the way I see it. It costs you, I I don't even know what the current cost is. Last time I went to New York City, I think it was 20 bucks just to drive into the city. And then you've got to put up with parking. And then, you know, so if it's, it's not really a destination, it's really for the people that 
already lived there, and, and I'm not sure building a new multi-billion dollar skyscraper, and yeah, they're going to have apartments and condos and all that stuff in it, but but for the retail side of it, I, I just, I, I don't see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're not truly heading in a, into a digital marketplace. Maybe they're right, but I, and it, seeing is believing. I, I, w- let's hope. Let's yeah. hope for the sake of the local workers that this works and the company can stay afloat. But it just seems to me like digital is the way to go in the future, and they're they're putting their bets on on the wrong part of the table. Well, and and, and speaking of retailers, there's a retailer you are probably not as familiar with called Hellman Retail Group, uh, and they have Hellman's um, downtown, Blaine's in Mon- Montgomery. Uh, you know, maybe they were struggling during the pandemic. I don't know what they did was they took it to TikTok, yeah, and they just passed the million follower milestone about a week ago. Crazy. And now there's people coming to them saying, hey, can can you put our product on your TikTok page because you have so many followers? And and this is what I was talking about when I said, you know, two ends of the spectrum. Macy's yes. is going back to brick and mortar. And here's a local retailer that's getting this huge, huge bump in, in sales and followers and, and everything else. And they're not exactly a Macy's style retailer. I, I've been to Blaine's a bunch of times uh, downtown, yeah. downtown Montgomery. They're the that's the, the boutique ro- uh, retailer you go to. If you want to spend $110 on a polo shirt, they've got them for you. And yeah. they look a little different than everything else. I mean, you know, when you see uh, mostly higher quality, higher fashions, prices, probably. Yeah, uh, definitely higher prices. I, I mean, you know, when you see somebody with their co- uh, their cuffs turned up on their shirt and it's a, a totally different pattern, chances are they, they bought it at Blaine's. You know, it's the place where if you've got a $100 gift certificate, you may have to settle for a tie. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's you get not one gonna, thing it's and not you're done. Buy a slacks or anything like that, but you know, really, really nice stuff. And and they're, they they uh, didn't even think about Twitter. They didn't think about Facebook. They went to TikTok, and and they're getting that younger generation uh, taking a look at what they're selling, and they're getting a huge number of hits. So you know, here we have Macy's going back to brick and mortar, and a, a smaller local company that that is going towards the digital marketplace. We'll see who wins. Every week we go to Simply Money University. This is where we review the fundamentals of investing, personal finance. Tonight, tackling this question, do you really need to own a home to build wealth? Is this a conversation, Steve, you're having with the investors you work with? Um, you know, a lot of people are talking about it, but I have very few takers. You know, talk is cheap. And, and there, yeah, there is a trend, and I'm seeing it more with younger people that – you know, do I really need to own a house just because mom and dad and grandma and grandpa owned a house their whole lives? Um, do I need to do that? Or maybe it makes more sense just to rent and let somebody else, you know, worry about cutting the grass and doing all that stuff. So, you know, it, it's interesting, but apparently enough people are going this route, Amy, that um, we're looking at some of the, the country's biggest builders. They're not building for people to buy their homes. They're building to rent. Yes. No. And I think that's a good distinction. And you're right. I think there's a number of things kind of coming together at the same time. When, you know, home prices are increasing, that means some people are just priced out of the market, can't afford it. And then I think there's some people who just don't want to be locked down by a 30-year mortgage. My cousin Jason, he and I grew up together. We're super tight. Um, he rents a house in Vegas. And um, he's, you know, he's got two kids and they've been there for several years. And at one point I was like, well, why, why are you renting? It's this nice house on a golf course. And he was like, oh, why would I want to buy? Like, I don't want to yeah. be, you know, tied to one thing. I'm not sure if in a couple of years from now, my job will move me somewhere 
somewhere else. Like, uh, well, I think for some people it does make sense. And we have some good friends who are getting close to retirement in the next five, 10 years. Their adult kids have moved out. They, within the past few weeks, have sold their nice big house in the suburbs and they're getting ready to move to Covington, downtown, thousand yeah. foot, you know, apartment. They want to be down in the mix of the restaurants and the stuff going on down there. I think they may not be alone. I I get that, and and we downsized a couple of years ago. I was tired of you know taking care of an acre and a quarter yard, and and you know it's a lot of work. And if you pay somebody else to do it, it costs a lot of money. I, I mean, yeah. we, we will budget for financial planning purposes. We'll budget five to eight thousand dollars a year for maintenance if you have a big yard and an old house, and you know you're going to spend that that kind of money. But you know there. Uh, as far as renting, here's the problem I have with it, Amy. If you're renting, at, especially as you're going into retirement, in retirement, uh, you just gave up control. And, and I'm a big control Good person, point. both personally, but also as an <laughs> ad, ad, advisor. And, and you know, it, you don't want that to be out of your hands if you're worried about, you know, will my money last the rest of my life? Here's a simply money point. Whether you want to rent or own in retirement, just make sure you have a plan that will take care of you either way. We've talked during this pandemic about how many small businesses were struggling to get through. Many of them, uh, some amazing stories coming out on the other end. Joining us tonight with some unique perspective here, Dustin Baker. He's CEO of Baker Lewis, an SBA advisory firm, the host of SBA Roadshow. You can find that on YouTube. It highlights small businesses that benefited from SBA and Paycheck Protection Program loans. Uh, Dustin, you've kind of traveled the country, it's my understanding, what are you seeing now coming out of this pandemic? That's a really good question. I, I think this idea came to me in December when we were still still very much in the middle of the pandemic. And yeah. it felt like a crazy thing to get in the car and go visit businesses all over the country. And now, as we're getting ready to head out on season three, we filmed two seasons like the story and the dynamic has changed a lot, even in those those five months, I see businesses that have kind of turned on the afterburners and, and they're ready to grow again. Uh, they're really thinking forward. And I think uh, we're all kind of shaking off the, the fatigue of 2020 and the businesses that I've sat down with um, really seem to be full speed ahead right now. The word pivot comes to mind when I think of a lot of small businesses and truly how maybe their entire business model changed during this time and will continue to maybe uh, morph as we move forward in the future. Is, is that what you saw? Like just businesses kind of rethinking, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? Yeah, I, that word has come up in almost every interview that we've done. Um, the idea that if you, survived this last year, at some point you had to pivot in some way or another. Um, the businesses that we visited with in Cincinnati and in Louisville uh, very much fall into that category. Um, and so, you know, I think that adversity brings opportunity. Um, that's another thing that that we've heard several times. And, and so I think you've got to go hunt for the opportunity in it. And entrepreneurs are pretty good yeah. at, uh, at figuring out how Some of the best. not just to survive, but to take advantage of the opportunities that adversity brings. So that, that's been a bell that's been rung repeatedly as we've sat down and talked with folks. So you mentioned you spent some time here in Cincinnati at the Metal Working Group. Talk about their story and how they came through this. 
it's it's one of my favorite stories uh, of of all the folks that we've sat and talked with. Here's a, a family owned business for decades that sits right in the middle of a residential area in Cincinnati. We kept driving, and I thought, "Where's the industrial park?" But no, it's like there's just neighborhoods around it. So you imagine, you know, people dropping their kids off at school and then making a short drive to work. It's a skilled, high paying job. Like this is what the politicians talk about when mm -hmm. they talk about manufacturing jobs. Um, but this business, uh, the owner was ready to retire. And the guy that had been the CFO for 30 years, Doug Watts, um, didn't have a big pile of money uh, to buy it. And so uh -huh. he was trying to put together a financing package. And the other offer was a private equity firm that would have almost certainly consolidated that company and all of those jobs to some other place. Um, and the SBA loan allowed Doug to have flexible enough terms. It was the kind of the last piece of the financing puzzle that allowed that business to remain a family owned, um, locally kind of owned business supporting that community. So it's a, it's a pretty fantastic story, um, what that loan allowed them to, to do to keep that business there. Absolutely, 100%. That's amazing. Okay, and so then you also traveled to Louisville as well um, to a uh, Prohibition Craft Spirits, very different kind of business. What's that story like? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's funny. The kind of businesses that we've talked to are just so diverse. Um, mm. That's a, a craft distillery uh, right in the heart of the Highlands neighborhood in Louisville. And uh, long story there, but the, the owner is a certified financial planner, and you guys will resonate with that a little yes. bit. Yes. Uh, he tried to put a private equity, private equity deal together. Uh, for this business and come to find out the guy that was running it was kind of running a Ponzi scheme. It was a con job uh, to get monies from it, money from investors. And so this guy, uh, the CFP ends up purchasing the business um, and uh, now he's growing it and it's booming for all the right reasons. Um, and it's kind of taking over his 30 year, you know, financial planning practice uh, as far as his, his main thing. So um, he used that loan to, to take a building he was renting and buy it and his monthly payments went down 25% uh, just based on the loan that he was able to get. Now he's plowing that back into the business and it, they're just going gangbusters. So it was a lot of fun to meet with them and hear their story. Well, speaking of a major pivot, you know, I think we in Cincinnati, initially, there were so many businesses that were trying to get their hands on these loans, couldn't find them, mm. couldn't find a lender. But, but how do you feel like in the end that all shook out? You know, we were a part of that too. So my practice is really a consulting uh, business to the lenders in the SBA world. We have not been as involved with the borrowers historically, but we felt like we were positioned to help small businesses access these funds. And, and it was a scrum. A, a client of mine talked about it like the Hunger Games, you know, wow. it's like if yeah. I get to kill that person and get my PPP loan, uh, you know, then, then, then I'll do what I got to do. And a lot of people really felt like they were going to get left out. Um, in the end, I think most of the people who were trying to get a PPP loan and then the second draw were able to do that. Um, it would have been nice if the process to get there were a little more elegant, but, uh, but I don't think all that many people were shut out that were trying to get in. Um, but it, it took a while for that dust to settle uh, for sure. Moving forward, how do you see this process of getting SBA loans changing or do you think it remains the same as it was maybe before this pandemic? 
That's a really good question because, you know, a PPP loan is really different than kind of a core SBA uh, program loan. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but I think PPP, because there were so many loans and so many businesses got them really kind of shined a light on the whole industry. And there's a lot more interest um, from borrowers getting SBA loans, but also all of these technology companies that were trying to figure out how to make the process more seamless they're hanging around still as well. And so I think you're going to see as one of those opportunities in adversity, uh, potentially a kind of a quantum leap in terms of how easy the process of, of getting an SBA loan is going to be in the future. And so I, I think um, there's some unintended kind of benefits of, of a program that's now sunsetted and what the, I think the, the dividends that's going to pay forward uh, just in general in the SBA loan program. And I think borrowers, uh, small businesses, I think they're going to benefit from those things for a long time. You know, uh, Dustin, I'm a huge fan of storytelling, and I think it, it can bring so many problems and issues to light. And I love that you decided that during this pandemic, let's go let's go talk to businesses. Let's figure out what they're doing with these SBA loans, with these PPP loans. You know, for people who want who are interested in that, what do you think they're going to walk away with if they tune in and watch your show on YouTube? Well, you know, I hope that people will be inspired. Uh, maybe that they've been thinking about uh, starting a business or growing their business. Um, you know, that this can kind of show them these are just normal people who kind of a door open and they walk through it. Uh, and that's possible uh, for them. I hope that some people who struggled, maybe in industries that have been really hard hit, uh, will see that there's some hope and some light uh, at the end of the at the tunnel. And, um, and I hope people will just have a chance to laugh too. Uh, we've done some kind of silly things on the show. And, you know, when you're running a GoPro in a car, uh, state after state after state, some <laughs> things are going to happen. <laughs> you know, they're a little comical. And so there's certainly some comic relief. So, you know, I, I hope it's entertaining, but I hope people uh, really are inspired. And, and I hope that they want to support local businesses and will think about those folks in their own communities a little bit differently um, that have risked everything to, to kind of bring life to communities. And I think that's what small businesses do. And I, I think hopefully we, we're giving people a reminder of that when they tune into the show. All right. So if you own a small business, maybe are thinking of owning one or are just interested in the impact that they're having on your community. Um, great insights tonight from Dustin Baker, CEO of Baker Lewis. This is an SBA advisory firm and the host of SBA Roadshow. You can find that on YouTube. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it as well. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.